0: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones.
1: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today and want to give a very warm welcome to Rand Fishkin. Rand is the co-founder and CEO of SparkToro, a Seattle-based tech startup that provides tools for audience intelligence and market research. His platform grants you extensive data about the online behaviors of any audience so that you can better understand what they watch, read, and listen to. Rand is also the co-founder and prior CEO of Moz, an SEO insights software that helps brand create stronger inbound marketing. As well, he's the author of Lost and Founder, A Painfully Honest Field Guide to the Startup World. Today, Rand and I are going to be chatting about how to leverage your audience's online behavior. We'll learn what works from Rand's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses miss the mark. Rand, welcome. So happy to have you here today.
0: Yeah, great to be here, Stacey. Thanks for having
1: me. Well, I am delighted to be chatting with you, and what I'd love to do is have you start off by sharing with our listeners what got you to hear today. How did you become not just an incredibly successful founder of a startup once, but now you're doing it again?
0: <laughs> um, so if the question is, how did I become an entrepreneur the first time, the answer is very Accidentally. Um, with a long rambling story that involves dropping out of college and then and then starting to work on a web design business with my mom that eventually turned into an SEO uh, blog and then a consulting business, then the software business that, that became Moz. Mm-hmm. But um, if the question is the second time, that's a uh, maybe more straightforward answer where <laughs> I'm sure you'll identify with this. I felt like I had a lot left to prove.
1: But now you have a whole new endeavor with all things audience insights. And I think that's probably an area that a lot of our listeners are like, audience insights. Like, why do I need to care about my audience insights? I'm telling them what they need to know about me, right? That's enough.
0: I don't need to know anything about my customers or the people I want to become customers. I know what they
1: need. (laughs)
0: No, no, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't think, thankfully... Unlike SEO in my early days, where a lot of people did have the, why should I care about how Google yeah. ranks things and why should I care about that? Now, obviously, a lot of people care about how Google ranks web pages. Yeah. But in the early years, that was not like this. The nice part about um, audience research is almost no one, no entrepreneur, no marketer says, I don't need to know more about my customers and my audience. So thankfully we, we have that going for us. I think that's actually really helped SparkToro get off the ground is there's not a lot of um, pushback <laughs> when, when we say, oh, you should probably know more about the audience that you want to turn into customers and marketers, entrepreneurs, CEOs are like, yes, yes, I do want that. Uh, and the, you know, the way that SparkToro goes about this is, I think the only thing that's, that's quite different because historically market research, audience research has been surveys and interviews, mm-hmm. which which I like. I, I like doing surveys and interviews. I think they can be very valuable, useful tools. I wouldn't tell anyone to stop doing them. I would just say there are a lot of questions that you cannot get great answers to from that process, right? So, you know, Stacey, if you, um, maybe you and I start a new uh product for interior designers right we i don't know we create a new lighting system for fancy rich people houses you're in la right they must have ah,
1: i have a fancy rich people house or the aspirations to have one at least
0: right i yeah. i think i read i that, need um, those
1: i need that product yes
0: uh is it i think jessica Beale is selling her house for some Massive amount this of money. I think god this awful amount. Yes, I'm sure. Feed the other day. Anyway, but so so maybe Jessica Beale's house uh, is getting some interior designers to come look mm-hmm. at it, and they're look, looking at new lighting systems. And you and I have created Stacey and Rand's wondrous house of lighting. <laughs> and so we we want to know more about interior designers and decorators and architects. Uh, we want to figure out primarily you know, as marketers, I want to know where can I reach them? And to what extent can I reach them there? Things like what podcasts do they listen to? Which YouTube channels they subscribe to? Uh, who and what do they follow on which social media platforms? What websites do they read and visit? What press do they pay attention to? What industry publications? What events they go to? What email newsletters they subscribe to? Mm-hmm. All those things are things where surveys and interviews will not get you very far. And this is, I think it's just because it's really hard to ask a person, "Hey, tell me about the relevant podcasts in your industry that you listen to," and then have them list those thoughtfully. We're not going to remember it, really. Yeah, it's it's like a memory challenge, and it's also a how do you how do you survey for that in yeah. a large group, and then collect those answers. So ideally, ideally, the best way to do this. Uh, is to get the home addresses of all your potential customers, and then uh, go to their house and break in, steal their phone, uh, get the unlock code for their phone, and then go look at you know everything they're subscribed to, right? And everything they follow, and, and go look in their iTunes listening history, and go look at their all the websites they visit, right? And their their search history, blah 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 blah. This, of course, is highly illegal and super unethical. <laughs> Uh, and no one should do it. I, I don't want to suggest that anyone should attempt this. But in an ideal world, right, that's, that's how you would get this data. The, the lucky part that, that Casey and I sort of realized a few years ago when we started SparkToro was, you know, a ton of people, not everybody, but a ton of people are now making this data all completely public on their social and web profile.
1: Totally without realizing that they do it. But, or realize, yeah. I mean,
0: I think a lot of people care. know, they're like, oh yeah. I can see who everyone, you know, on my Instagram follows or everyone on my Twitter follows or all my LinkedIn connections. So everyone can see mine. So like, it's all just sort of this world of, you know, obviously there's private data, but then there's a lot of social pu- profiles that are completely public. People have. And we're not talking
1: about public. here with Apple and with Google and all the changes we're talking actually the stuff that is absolutely front and center, not behind Intentionally the scenes, public. it's there.
0: Mm -hmm. intentionally public, right? This would be like links that I posted to Twitter. I'm not only um, making them public by default, I am making them public intentionally. I want people to see that I shared those links. If you go to my YouTube profile, you can see which channels I subscribe to and where I commented and what I said, right? And that's intentional. I intentionally want people to see. In fact, the goal of most people on these social platforms is I want more people to see what I'm doing, right? right? Not less. So with SparkToro, we basically crawl the public web, uh, social and, and websites, and then aggregate that data so that we can say, oh, okay, well, you searched for people whose bio includes interior designer in California. And we have, I don't know, 1,910 people uh, in our database who say, whose profile says interior designer, California. So, what do they listen to, watch, read? Okay, sixteen percent of them follow this account on social media, mm-hmm. and you know, nineteen percent uh, read this uh, publication, and twelve mm-hmm. percent follow this social uh, account on one or more of their of, of their social presences. Yeah. that's what Sparktor does. It is not. There's no AI. There's no machine learning. You know, mm-hmm. it's not very complicated it's super simple division the the hardest part is just crawling and aggregating that data. And then the rest of it is just, oh, okay, well, of, you know, 1900 people, 320 followed this social account across one of the networks we can see. So we'll put that one in this position with that percentage number.
1: So basically, your software is searching for commonalities between different potential consumer groups for audiences, for brands, but then you are taking the ability to build accurate personas versus what the rest of the world tends to do of sitting around the table and being like, let's name her Jane. She has a dog. Mm, She's probably like 5'2 and has a kid. Mm, Maybe she's our ideal customer because that's what most people are doing, right?
0: look, I, I understand that that sort of avatar, imaginary avatar persona exercise can be valuable for some people. That's how Big they, waste of
1: time. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: I don't love it personally, but I also, I don't want to like crap on people who find empathy through building these imaginary profiles. Like I love fiction. I identify with fictional characters. <laughs> I can understand the like, I get in someone's head through a fictional representation of them. This is not what
1: marketers want to hear with you saying that their lives are fiction.
0: Well, I'm just right. Like whoever it is, marketing, Mary, right. If you you come up with like marketing manager, Mary, or you know, whatever software engineer, Stacy, and okay. You've created a fictional person, a persona. Mm -hmm. And maybe that helps you like empathize with that. uh, Archetype and design products for them and those kinds of things. My my challenge is that the um, process often involves a lot of guesswork and intuition and not a lot of statistically accurate sampled data from, you know, secure sources, right? So if you were instead to use something, whatever, a large-scale survey or... Um, or a data set like SparkToro's, or go manually get it yourself, right? Go crawl all the profiles of interior designers yourself. You don't have to use SparkToro, right? If you want to build your own web crawler and ping everyone's Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube and get all the public ones and aggregate all their data, awesome. Go for it. Look at you giving away all your
1: secrets because now someone can go out and design exactly that, right? I mean,
0: you know, realistically... If you're going to do that, SparkToro is a vastly cheaper way to do it, because you know, it'll save you a ton of time. But if you wanted to do it, you would get the same results, right? You'd probably get very similar results to what you see in our product. And so what I love about statistically sound data, whether you use a persona or not, is that you can say instead of, you know, software engineer Stacy has, you know, um, one, you know, has a, a kid and likes long walks on the beach or you know whatever it is instead of that you say uh, okay 15% of our target audience who fits this software engineer mold follows these publica- this publication 14% this one 12% that one 9% this one we ha- you know we have 42 publications that are over 5% that's where we want to be in right those are the publications where we want to advertise or submit Uh, content pieces or we want to do a sponsorship or a co-marketing event with them or we want to be on their webinar or whatever it is and that is going to make your marketing far more effective than in my opinion the classic persona exercise that's a little more you know fictional character based sure
1: and so when you're working with if if, i know you're on the side of actually behind the scenes of software so it's your software that's working with people but what are the things that p- typically are mistakes that these brand marketers are doing when they're approaching, besides building fake personas that aren't really built on reality? Um, what else are they doing and how they're approaching, you know, building audiences? You mentioned that, you know, 40% of your client base is typically marketing agencies. What do you see as like the rinse and repeat problems that come up frequently or challenges? Yeah, so
0: I, I think one of the most severe ones, and I completely understand why it exists, I have deep empathy for why it exists, but it is throw 95% of our budget at Facebook and Google ads, let them sort out all the targeting, <laughs> invest very little in content, social, organic, PR, co-marketing, marketing Um I mean the things that are going to stick
1: around and keep on earning you eyeballs and impressions versus one and done and gone.
0: Yeah, I mean, the really frustrating part is I here's an example, right? Let's let's go back to our interior design business, right? So we're selling to interior designers with our with our lighting business. And we find a podcast that is absolutely perfect. A ton of interior designers in California listen to this podcast. It's really big with them. So you know, we pitch and we get you as a guest on there and you talk about the, you know, what's wrong with the, I don't know, the lighting design systems in <laughs> Jessica Beale's mansion, right? And like how just you not enough it. light. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a great episode, right? Maybe Jessica comes on and she talks about how great you mm-hmm. are, whatever. It's awesome. Fantastic podcast episode. What do we see from that? What we see is a bunch of people who never heard of us before now have heard of us. Many of them will go directly to our website. A bunch of them will go search Google for us. Maybe some of them will go to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter or YouTube and they'll follow us there. What we will not see in our analytics is this podcast sent us a bunch of traffic that turned into customers. But what happens if you go to Google Ads and you buy a Google Ad for 10,000, you know, you spend $10,000 on Google Ads? What you will see is a whole bunch of people that Google Ads say, came directly to you and purchased. And look, you can take that to the bank. Those numbers, they say that the Google ad converted and your CMO trusts that and your investors trust that and your C-suite trust that and your board of directors trust that. So they all encourage you to go spend more money on Google ads or Facebook You're ads. saying that's the wrong approach. It is absolutely the wrong approach. Okay. Okay. Here's the, here's the big problem with that. When big companies, small companies, medium-sized companies have truly tested the efficacy of their advertising, their digital advertising, what they almost always find is that somewhere between 80 and 95% of the customers who purchase something through an ad would have purchased anyway, even if that ad didn't exist. So it is true that you are getting some marginal value from the Google or Facebook ad, but really what you're paying for is the ability to prove some provenance to some marketing higher up or some executive. That's what you're paying for is the trackability of it.
1: There's a sales um, strategy. It's not even a strategy. There's a sales saying, there's a sales approach that says that Let's say you go into a giant stadium and you're talking to everyone there that at any one time, 3% of those that you're talking to are potentially active consumers looking to purchase from you. The rest are all staged out. Some of them are never going to buy. But what you're saying is really Google is tracking that 3% that is already planning on purchasing and maybe it's helping focus some of them more on you but they were already there and they were on the hunt. It's
0: the, the, the data in case study after case study, example after example, where, where an advertiser is truly willing to test this and there's only one way to test it, right? Which is to Spend money. Run, ads, <laughs> run ads at a very large scale and then shut them off entirely, yeah. right? That's the, that's the only way you can, you can truly A-B test. You, you could do, do it by geo as well, right? <laughs> um, but time series is an effective way to do that. And this is, I think this is one of the great frustrations of modern advertising, right? Is that the incentives for an individual agency, a consultant, a marketer is spend money on Google and Facebook ads because no one gets fired for that, right? But if you turn that off and invest in, let's say a a PR campaign, an influence marketing campaign, a uh, content marketing campaign, Even if you see success with it, a lot of success, right? Look at our numbers. They're all going up and to the right. Yeah, Yeah, but can you perfectly attribute that to your efforts? You cannot. And so oftentimes those marketers will lose budget because they can't prove that it was their content efforts, their PR efforts, their co-marketing efforts that led to the increase. It's too hard to track. Google ads, Facebook ads make that super easy.
1: See, I love you because my agency, Hollywood Branded, what we do is we build branded content partnerships for companies. So product placement, celebrity endorsements, PR, influencer marketing, all those intangibles where people are like, well, I need to see a direct sale right away. I'm like, oh, they can't really see that. Mm -hmm." And they're like, oh, then we can't really put budget on it. What you're saying is they should be putting budget on that. Right. And putting a little bit less on the Google Ads and Facebook Ads and everything else, can I just carry you around with me to sales presentations and just have you on my shoulder and tell people that? Uh,
0: yes, I, I okay. come in a small, miniaturized version, fits conveniently on your shoulder. Perfect. Uh, Mini Rand Fishkin is now sold at all. I don't know Target stores. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, the I was going to say though, Stacy, like the I think the way. The way I've seen some savvy, sophisticated marketers make this argument um, in a data-driven way, right? In a way that's like convincing to executives (laughs) is essentially what they'll do is they'll say, hey, look, we're going to experiment with these channels, and here's how we're going to prove out the value. We're going to prove the value by increased branded search, increased direct traffic, uh, increased direct traffic from the geolocations where we do these. Mm -hmm. Um, and increased uh, brand awareness among the audiences we want to reach. And so, for example, we're going to go on this podcast, and the the two weeks after the podcast episode launches, we're going to look at direct and branded search traffic. And if we see a commensurate spike after the podcast episode goes live, we should be able to attribute that to the podcast itself. And then we're going to look at the lift and we're going to look at the lift in traffic and say, what was the conversion rate for the lifted traffic? And what was that conversion rate for that lifted traffic over you know, the next six months or a year? Assuming we can get mm-hmm. some of them to register with, a, with an email address on our website or something like that, or sign up for our newsletter or try a free product or whatever it is. And then we look at that and we go, aha, the value of being on a podcast with an audience of this size that reaches this percent of our audience, according to SparkToro, is this many dollars. Now let's go do that again.
1: For those 40% of the marketing agencies that are signed up as clients for you, are they signing their client up? Is it kind of like when you're working with a brand and you're like, okay, I need to get into your Google analytics. Can you add me in? Is it that same route or can you as an agency run these tests using your software to get the analytics without the client having to lift a finger?
0: Uh, you can get the research portion without mm-hmm. having to lift a finger, right? So you can say, this podcast is listened to by 24% of people who already follow your brand on one or more social networks. So okay. if you are on there, the likelihood that we will reach more people that are like your existing audience is very high. Mm-hmm. That data is just right there out in the open in the tool. Lots of people turn that, you know, put that in their marketing reports and their PDFs and their presentations and all that, which is great. What you can't do is that next step of saying how, do you know, you as the marketer or the marketing agency have to be the one that says, these are the publications we're going to pitch. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to pitch them. This is how we're going to turn that pitch into a yes. And this is how we're going to turn that yes into business return on investment for you. That's something that Smart Toro is never going to do, right? We, um, which, which is, which is great. I, I don't think we should try to do that. I think some of these marketing software firms that are like, oh yeah, we're end to end. And we use whatever artificial intelligence to show the whole. Mm-hmm.
1: You're back into Google I buy, and Facebook BS. I,
0: I don't buy, I don't buy that at all. Right. Uh-huh. I, I think that, um, I think that providing the data and then letting the smart, talented, capable folks <laughs> to carry the ball the rest of the way is, is the right move. Uh, okay. So you know, that's, um, obviously there are plenty of software CEOs who disagree with me and most of them have venture backing. So,
1: yeah, you know, that's okay. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: And, And so what are other mistakes on approaches that people make when it comes to audience analytics and trying to actually understand who you are targeting and who is actually buying? Yeah, I, one that I
0: kind of hate—I'm sure lots of marketing agency owners will resonate with this one—is uh, kind of what I would call like the Wall Street Journal problem. Mm-hmm. I wrote about this a little while back, but the idea is that you're, you know—you go, you pitch the, you know, directors at the company that you that that you want to sign up, and uh, and the CEO is like, okay, you know, this, this sounds pretty good. I want you to get me a piece in the Wall Street Journal the marketers all look at each other like the wall street why? journal what, why is do interior designers read the wall street journal and the ceo is like oh, i golf with our customers every sunday and i know they read the wall street journal you know and and everybody in the room kind of eye rolls because the ceo it doesn't have to be the wall street journal right it's just whichever prestigious publication the CEO thinks or the CMO or the director of marketing, whoever you're pitching, right? Yeah. Thinks is the one that reaches the audience. And I, unfortunately, for better or worse, I think this um, problem of prestige publication over high ROI publication (laughs) is a constant challenge, not just in the PR world, but in advertising and sponsorship. It's a huge problem in influencer marketing world. It's a huge problem in uh, targeting of all kinds, right? Whether that's like a content pro, oh, we're going to you know, contribute articles to this place or we're going to you know, pitch to be in this YouTube video or we're going to speak at this event or sponsor this event. No matter what you're doing in marketing, this prestige problem is pervasive. I, I think you can solve it with audience data. Mm-hmm. You can say, okay, you want to be in the Wall Street Journal. We can do it. The Wall Street Journal reaches 7% of interior designers in California. d Magazine online reaches 47% of interior designers in California. The Wall Street Journal is prestigious. It could lead to other business avenues that aren't directly our customers. Is it 10 times more valuable to you? Because I'll tell you right now, it's 10 times more work and 10 times more costly to get in there. And then you let them make the call, right? You let the CEO sort of tell you, oh, yeah, I want you to spend 10 times the effort in dollars getting us into this publication that's primarily for prestige reasons rather than customer ones. And,
1: and there can be a difference between a PR approach and an advertising approach because the CEO may want the Wall Street Journal name on his website as seen in the Wall Street Journal. But I will 100% agree that like, even for myself, I'll do PR and the hustle way outperforms anything I've done in the Wall Street Journal or New York Times. Like it's just, it's just, that's where I'm going to hear from people and be like, Oh my gosh, I saw you there. I saw what you said versus the other, you know, my mom gets excited.
0: So the impress my grandparents phenomenon is a real thing. And look, a lot of PR folks, advertising folks, marketing folks get hired to solve the, I want my grandparents to be proud of me. And so I want to be in a publication they've heard of, as opposed to, I am looking for a return on my marketing investment dollars. Because frankly, I think a lot of the time, the return on marketing investment dollars, many brands, many executive teams foolishly think that the right way to do that is Facebook and Google advertising.
1: So, Grant, how can people find SparkToro? How can they find you? How can they learn more information in general?
0: Yeah, um, a nice thing about SparkToro, it's uh, we've got a forever free account, so you don't have to pay to use it. You can just sign up, start getting some data. If you find it valuable or you want more, um, you know, it's got it's got some paid tiers, but uh, it's SparkToro. Unlock the potential. Yeah, <laughs> we, I mean. Stacey, full, full disclosure, right? We have like, I think more than 50,000 marketers use the free version. So okay. the free version can do a lot. A lot. Right? We, and we, we intentionally built it that way. Like we want it to be um, useful, even if you don't have budget. I, I think that's just, that's a great way to build a business and, and a great way to sort of change an industry and, and a mindset. So, by all means, yeah, feel free to, to sign up for free at SparkToro.com. If, if you're specifically interested in uh, all the wacky rants I go on um, and, uh, you know, occasional pasta tutorial cooking classes and uh, <laughs> um, dialogue with my uh, award-winning author wife, Geraldine, uh, you can find me on Twitter where I am at Randfish.
1: Perfect. And so what else are average common potential. Mistakes that people will make. Oh
0: man! Um, I mean, I th- I think there's, um, I think there's a bias in uh, a lot of marketing to doing things you've seen your competition do, uh, as opposed to innovating on tactics and channels that are whatever, not as well understood, not as well um, invested in. And that bias can be a dangerous one too, right? There's like this, the truth is is somewhere in the middle problem Mm -hmm. of, you know, you don't want to go all the way to, we do nothing that anybody else in our field does. And you don't want to be the, we only, you know, we're lemmings and we follow exactly what the competition does and just copy them. You, you want this healthy balance between we innovate in some areas in ways that we're good at, at that match with our brand ethos and our mm-hmm. skill set, and also uh, we research what the competition is doing and we look for opportunities that other people are executing on as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, being the lemming is definitely not going to win you a lot of business, but it is going to potentially keep your job very safe if you're working for someone who is not a risk taker and an innovator.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I mean, look, I think that for a lot of marketers, what I, what I hear from many, many folks is that the innovation, the new thinking, the creative and experimental things that they invest in are often for their smaller clients and for their personal and side projects and then they can bring them to their you know bigger clients after after they've kind of earned their trust and proven their roi with you know not lemming tactics but things that are more often facebook and google ads right
1: what got you into software development like how did you start out in this world where you're like i am going to like just embrace what this whole internet is and make people be able to have better companies?
0: Gosh. Um, I think in my early years in SEO, I realized that I did not love consulting. Um, I love consultants and, and agencies like from a, a lot of my personal friends run agencies. Uh, most of Spark Toro's investors are like people who own agencies or are consultants. So that kind of thing. Um, they're like,
1: Oh my gosh, thank you so much for making this thing. I'll invest, I'll invest.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> right. And, um, that that's awesome. I think I'm not good at it because I don't, uh, I don't work well with the like sales side of consulting. Like that part is very energy sapping for me. And Software, like the beauty of software is that it scales with decreasing friction and has this um, arms length, you know, distance between the transactional side and the relationship side. Yeah. So I I can have a relationship with people and have no idea whether they're, you know, customers of SparkToro or not. And if they are great, if they're not, that's great too, right? It's not... Um, yeah, it, do- it doesn't sort of futz with my, my box of relationship, personal versus business, that kind of thing. I, I, I like having personal relationships with everyone. I don't, I, I don't really get the whole, oh, it's a business thing. Well, What's a business? It's all just life. What are you talking about? It's no business and personal
1: we have the same thing again like what we do as an agency is we create opportunities that are cool for people to see and someone will come up and they'll be like oh well our brand's b2b and you know we're looking for that business target and i'm like what do you think that guy or gal's doing at the end of the day with their kids and their wife or their partner and feed her up on the couch and they're like trying to take a moment away from what they actually did for business all day long. We're all still people and, and how we interact. It's, it's what you're saying is the same as my belief is that people, it's not a business thing. It's a people thing. It's an approach of how do you actually just partner and engage and chat with real people? Uh, the, the,
0: you know, there's the, the wisdom of the Greek diner owner in uh, the infamous movie, The Muppets Take Manhattan. Very infamous. Peoples is peoples. Is frogs, is pigs, is dancing, is peoples. I, wiser words have never been spoken.
1: Well, I think that is an excellent note for us to say. Are there any other last words of parting advice that you can give our audience
0: are you kidding me i quoting muppets take manhattan on a podcast that is that's it no that's seen
1: perfect (laughs) thank
0: you thank you so much for having me I, i have really enjoyed our chat
1: today Course, Rand. I really enjoyed having you on as well. And I am absolutely going to and have our team as well check out your software because my like light bulbs are going off right now. Going, maybe this would help us with this initiative or this challenge and how to address it. So thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. And then to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Um, Obviously, Rand has given us some phenomenal insights and takeaways today. And just as a reminder, here at Hollywood Branded, we are so passionate about all things branded content and believe that influencers, celebrities, TV, streaming, film and music can give your brand power and sales. If you want to partner with any sort of pop culture content, reach out to us and we will happily chat you through the processes and what the opportunities are. And until next week, have a great one.